0: Welcome to Voices of Resilience, a special series from the Vita Voices podcast, where we're sharing stories of courage, commitment, and perseverance in times of unprecedented crisis. I've been reaching out to the women leaders we work with around the world, really just to check in and see how they're doing and find ways that we can best support them in the wake of COVID-19. But what's been fascinating is that rather than replying with their individual needs, the overwhelming responses I've received. And the leaders we work with across 182 countries around the world is that they want to find ways to support others. This instinct for leadership is precisely why for the last 23 years all of us at The Voices have been supporting women on the front lines of change and I truly believe that it's this kind of leadership that's needed in our world now more than ever. So we wanted to bring these leaders, their voices, ideas, solutions, and this great sense of solidarity they have from around the world to each of you. During this series, we'll talk to leaders across industries and cultures. They'll share with us their insights into how they're dealing with this current global pandemic or how they've navigated turbulent times in the past. We'll talk about how they motivate themselves, their teams, and their communities. Ways that they stay focused on their larger goal, that driving force. And where they find the strength to carry on. We hope that this special series provides a little bit of inspiration in what might feel like a sea of chaos. So thanks for listening. I'm your host, Elise Nelson. For today's Voices of Resilience podcast, I'm calling Cameroonian political leader, entrepreneur, and human rights activist, Ka Walla. Cause a leader many, many times over and a great friend, so it's wonderful to be connecting with her today. She's a community organizer who focuses on defending civil rights. Uh, she's the president of the Cameroonian People's Party. She is founder and CEO of Strategies, a consulting firm that's offering services and leadership strategy and organizational development to multinational corporations across Africa and around the world, and she's deeply connected into her community, shaping the future of Africa. She is committed to advancing the continent based on principles of good governance, equity, and democracy. Ka, thank you so much for for joining us today. Thank you very much,
1: Elise. Um, it's it's a pleasure to be here and. Uh, really good to be connecting in one way or another with the, the the vital voices family in this very, very tough times.
0: Yeah, it really is. I start by telling us maybe a little bit about what, what's going on in Cameroon right now. I I I saw that there um there's been at least I know one reported death. Um what what's been the response of the government um have have I know that you shut down your operations or at least you know you you you're working from home but what has been the government's response? I know that they are not uh <laughs> the most organized uh, yes. to say that. <laughs> uh, but but how have they responded yeah
1: um uh, so so Africa as a whole um was a little bit had had a little bit of a a fake sense of immunity um at the beginning of this crisis because other parts of the world were getting um were getting uh you know cases confirmed infections and um there's almost nothing from from africa and so in the beginning we thought uh, they thought maybe the heat uh, is is not um, uh, the virus can 't survive in the heat uh, There were thoughts that uh, there's something about our you know DNA in Africa that is stopping the uh, 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 the virus from from infecting Africans well um, it gave us a really false sense of security, and mm-hmm. most a lot of African countries have not quite snapped out of that yet, in spite of the fact that we are now at over 2,000 cases on the continent. Cameroon today has 91 um, confirmed cases and two deaths. Mm. Um, and, And the reality, Elise, is more that we were not testing. Yeah. So, so, um, we have the, the, the very, very small number of cases that we're hearing out of Africa is actually because we, we have tested a very, very small number of people. Um, so, so we are a little bit behind the wave, uh, but, um, it's extremely scary, um, because we do not we do not have the infrastructure at all. So so our best case scenario would have been to close our borders about three to four weeks ago um, and try to keep the virus out. Um, We didn't do that. And um, it's it's here and it's it's definitely spreading.
0: Hmm. Wow. And um, do you have testing now?
1: So um, there there has been some testing. So if we look at a a country like Cameroon, we have confirmed cases in three cities. Um, We only have one test center so far for the entire country. Um, So if you get tested, like in Douala where I live, if you get tested, um, your samples have to be taken, um, over three hundred kilometers away to to Yaounde um, to to be able to get the 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 test done um, and and get back the results. So our testing system is still really um, uh, unsatisfactory. We just got like every other African country. Uh, the Chinese billionaire Jack Ma um, gave he gave 20,000 test kits to every African country um, and a hundred thousand masks and um, um, 10,000 protective suits and and face masks, uh, face shields. So um, those came in yesterday morning and we have seen the Minister of Health uh, make a call to people um, who came in on flights as of the 10th of March uh, to come in and get tested. Um, so, so we're probably going to see in the next couple of days, uh, um, an, a, a, you know, an increased number of tests, and I'm certain that will also mean a significantly increased number of confirmed cases.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So you ran for president, you follow what the government does very closely. Um, What would be the ideal playbook here? You know, if you were president right now, I mean, how would you have dealt with this? How would you continue to deal with this? Yeah.
1: Well, I think one is that, you know, we have to acknowledge around the world, not only for Cameroon, that, Yes, this is a a virus. It's a it's a you know health crisis, um, but it's also a governance crisis. It is very much about the choices that we have made as societies. Um, we are discovering today that we have you know um, invested in profit rather than investing in people. Um, and, uh, nowhere in the world almost do we have, uh, adequate health systems and an adequate response system to, to address this kind of a, of a crisis, um, in Africa in general and in Cameroon in particular, it's, it's worse. And, and, um, we are really bracing for the worst in, in, in my political party, in our movement, um, we 're really racing for a very, very bad scenario the The ideal playbook would have been as i said to to keep the virus out as much as possible because we don 't have the health system we just don 't have the health systems um, to face it um, the you know some of the 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 modeling that we have done to try to estimate what the number of Cases needing hospitalization may look like, um, you know, go to go from uh, about a hundred thousand cases to about five hundred thousand. Um, now, those are not official figures; um, those are just figures with us trying to get our heads around um, what's going on. Um, and, but, but if we were to get to that kind of a scenario, we have 6,000 health units in the entire country and 40,000, um, health personnel all combined. Wow. Um, yeah. So if we are anywhere, if we are at a hundred thousand cases, we are completely overwhelmed. If we are 500,000 cases, we, it's, it's total chaos. Um. So, um, you know, so the thing I think the playbook would have been one, to keep the virus out. Secondly, would have been to really isolate, to really identify um, the infected cases. When we were at, we were at three cases for, for quite some time. And um, the thing would have been, as soon as we had three confirmed cases, was to really close the borders Isolate um, these cases, track down everybody that they had been in contact with, isolate those people, and, and try to keep the virus contained. Um, that would have been the ideal playbook. The other thing is um, that unfortunately we we live in a dictatorship, and the the the, the governance style is always to sort of yell at us as citizens and, and, you know, sort of tell us, you're not doing this and you're not doing that. And, and government has persisted in that, in this crisis. Um, and, and number one is that because we have been um, lied to in the past by the government, uh, exaggerated to in terms of figures and so on, the population did not take what they were what they were saying seriously. I would say until this week, Uh, when the numbers started going up, so we got into that phase where the cases are multiplying, um, they're doubling like every three days. Um, When we got into that phase, then people kind of sat up and said, wait, what's going on? This must be serious um so so we're also paying the price for the decades of bad governance we're paying the price in terms of a health system that's not up to par we're playing paying the price in times of lack of health personnel and we're paying the 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 price in terms of public confidence and trust in government um so uh yeah so those are some of the key things the other thing i think really um we need we need a crisis management team at the highest levels of government so at least we have not seen our president he has not spoken to us once um, throughout this crisis um, we've seen the prime minister who has has made two outings in the last um in in the last three weeks since we've known that we have cases um, there doesn't seem to be a government crisis management team so um for example all of the economic impact um you know everything that has to do with companies shutting down because we have a sort of partial shutdown so everything is shut down as of 6 p.m um except essential services but during the day everything is still open here and they're asking people to to self-confine as much as possible um, to, to, to to maintain social distancing. Um, that is not enough. That is not enough. Um, we needed a crisis management team at the level of government that is looking at um, the economy, education, healthcare, and all of the other social uh, um, sectors that are concerned. We have shut down schools. Schools were shut down um, last week on the 17th of March. Um, but there is no system for, um, for, for kids to learn. Um, there's, there's nothing, there's no, there's no online generalized system. There have been Cameroonians who are suggesting that we should, um, use one of our state TV channels to, um, you know, to give online classes, uh, government has not reacted to that um so we have kids staying at home with parents who are going out to work um and and who don't have control over what those kids are doing Um, and so of course kids Hmm. are going outside and playing and playing with each other
0: right um
1: yeah wow yeah Yeah. so and then economic Economically, the shutdown is very difficult for us because we have an informal economy. Yes. So a, a company like mine that has salaried workers, um, it's, 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 you know, it takes a little bit of organization and, and planning and so on, but we can shut our offices and go home and work from home. Um, because people have salaries and, and, and we can organize ourselves that way. But nine out of every 10 workers in Cameroon works in the informal sector, which means that they go out every day by selling, um, by, you know, driving a, a, a motorbike taxi. That's how they make their living. So it's very difficult to ask them to shut down.
0: Yeah. I was actually going to ask you about that, because when I think about Douala being the home to the largest, uh, one of the largest markets in the world, and thinking about everyone, you know, in that confined space, uh, so close together, has the marketplace shut down at all?
1: The marketplaces have not shut down. Um, um, I saw one, there's one uh, mayor today who shut down the market for today. Um, now, I'm, it, it's a little bit unclear, like, you know, why Why was it shut down today? Are they trying to, because one of the things that we have been thinking of and have been suggesting to government is um, can we, can we decrease, you know, so even if people cannot shut down completely, can they decrease activity so that they they reduce the number of contacts that they have with other people? Um, so there's that kind of thinking going on, but but once again, there's no direction whatsoever. The, the, in, in the, the economic aspect in Cameroon, the Minister of the Economy, we have not seen him, Um, the business associations have not been contacted by anybody. Um, we have not seen one single economic analysis of anybody, you know, thinking about what kind of impact this is going to have on our economy. Um, yes, they're, they, they are just not handling this.
0: Wow. Wow. So, Ka, as you as you think out, you know, six, eight months um down the road, what do you think the economic impact will be? I mean, we know that you know Africa has been rising, you know, economies, development, it's 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 moving forward, and this is a huge setback.
1: Enormous. I think I think that, you know, unfortunately, once again we are going to be the hardest hit by this. Um, as you said, we had seen some economic growth um, in the last 10 years. Um, we had seen um, some restructuring of the economy, especially in, in some very proactive countries. Um, and, and Africa as, a des- as, a, as an investment destination had begun to get um, you know, a, a much better image, uh, economically speaking. This is going to be a huge step back. One is that our economies are still very, very largely commodity-driven. So um, we sell oil, we sell, you know, other other minerals to the rest of the world, um, and our biggest clients are in trouble. So we sell. Uh, China is one is is one of the biggest trading partners in um, on the continent. Um, it's Cameroon's biggest trading partner. Um, they're in very you know uh, eco- big economic trouble. Uh, France is a huge partner of us uh, of ours. Um, France is very badly hit with uh, COVID nineteen. Um, so, we're, so we are going to have trouble selling um, our goods, which are mostly uh, um, you know, raw materials and minerals. Um, we are going to have trouble because we have such a huge vulnerable population. So um, we have a huge population of, of internally displaced people because of conflict. We have refugees. Um, and we have the extremely poor. Um, so in in, in Cameroon, um, out of a population of about twenty three million, we we had you know about a, a million seven hundred fifty thousand people who are in really really who were barely surviving before the crisis. Um, so um, you know, we're going to be very badly hit as 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 those people need need help um and uh third is that unlike you know the u.s just declared they're putting two trillion uh dollars into their economy um the uh the the g20 just declared they're going to put five trillion dollars into five trillion euros into the world uh economy um you know countries are are sort of holding up their economies by injecting liquidity and cash into the economy, and by taking care of the most vulnerable. Um, you know, France has suspended uh, payments of all bills, um, uh, electricity bills, rents, taxes, and so on, to to enable companies to get through this. Um, we can and those countries are doing that because they control their own currency. So, so they're basically gonna print money. They're going to um, you know create debt, but it's it's they're indebted to themselves. Um, we cannot do that in, in, in Cameroon and in other countries that are frank CFA countries. We do not have we do not have control over our own monetary policy so we cannot decide in a crisis like this to um you know to 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 print money we, we we can't our money is controlled uh by france um our our monetary policy is controlled by france so this is this is a, a moment where you know um all of our chickens are coming home to roost uh wow. you know all of the bad governance, all the fact that we have not really decolonized ourselves um, completely, um, and uh, the fact that we have not taken care of our populations economically speaking.
0: Mm-hmm. so let's let's pivot a bit to talk about leadership. Um, obviously, you've talked about what bad leadership can do. But this reminds me so much, this discussion we're having now about the financial crisis, the global financial crisis over a decade ago, and how women were hardest hit, um, as women are in times of crisis. Uh, But also at the same time, it became abundantly clear that women needed to be around those decision-making tables when the decisions were made that brought things to its knees and, when the decisions were being made to bring things out of despair. And what I wonder, have we learned those lessons? Mm -hmm. Have we learned the lessons from a decade ago? And are we looking to women as those who will be critical in getting us out of this crisis? Or do we think that women's issues is women or gender equality, I should say, is going to revert Backwards, as a result, and you know, to me, this is this is a, a, a very pivotal question um, because it it I think frames where we will be going as a planet in the future.
1: I absolutely agree. I think that um, you know every every crisis is 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 an opportunity as well. And as horrible as this crisis is, it is also this this humongous uh, opportunity that um, will would enable us to completely rethink the way that we have um, constructed our societies and organized our societies. And i I agree with you one hundred percent. I actually have a joke. Uh, with um some of the women leaders in our organizations because we we've been saying okay we need to know, find out which which gods are angry you know what did we do um and 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 appease these gods and, and we keep saying you know whichever gods they are they are female um because um they are you know forcing us to completely rethink you know these societies that we built that very obviously don't take care of people's health, that very obviously have not created safety nets for the most vulnerable people in our society, um, that very obviously have put too much emphasis on you know, making huge amounts of money by very, very small numbers of people, so that we find today that even in very rich countries, um, you know, huge numbers of people cannot afford to go without, without their pay for a week, Um, you know? So, so um, this is a huge opportunity for women's leadership and for the issues that women put, tend to put at the center of, of, of governance, which, uh, which is the human being. It's, it's, you know, Throughout this crisis in Cameroon, I have seen the huge difference between the way we as women approach the crisis um, and uh, the, the the very male leadership that that is that of our of our government. Um, you know, with with women, we put our heads together very quickly and said, "Okay, we don't like the government. We fight against the government. But this is a matter of life and death, and so we have to, um, you know, bring forth solutions. Uh, we have to make proposals, and we did that. And nobody is listening to us. And so after the first week or so, we said, 'Well, well, government is not listening. So we have to go directly to the people.'" Um, So we have set up working groups to to understand the crisis. We produce now a daily update that we send out to uh, remote rural communities who are not getting information because there is no central point to get information from our government. There's no website, there's no Facebook page, no hotline for information. Um, So we have been able to set up this daily update that we send um, to to rural radio stations to to be able to get them information and that has practical tips because for example government information says well use um, use sanitizer you know use use sanitizer well people in rural areas they don't have access to sanitizer um, so we are doing things like giving them you know formulas for um how to use bleach to disinfect and you know um you know how do they wash their hands where there's no running water um to to and and still not get infected so um so i think this is a moment um we 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 are having a huge focus on um the health personnel that the government has not talked about at all the, the government has not set up any kind of information or training for them. So we have had to go to the World Health Organization sites and get the, and get the links for free training and spread this around to you know, the different groups where health professionals um, are, are, are meeting online. Um, so, so I think that this is a huge opportunity um, where our societies could rethink themselves I am not certain, Elise, that from the leadership that I see, definitely in my country, across Africa, in your country, um, I don't see these men asking themselves questions yet. Mm, yeah, I don't see them questioning, you know, what it is about their leadership that got us here. Um, and is making us um, do such a poor job of managing this crisis.
0: Mm. You know, a lot of people are are beginning to predict that this crisis is something that we're going to see more of in the future, more of these global health pandemics. And what I wonder in that is, and it's wonderful to see a lot of major foundations saying okay we need really need to focus on that systems change piece so that we can strengthen communities and governments to better respond and what i wonder is because the majority of those sitting around the table making those decisions even at some of these major foundations are men and are they thinking that women are core to systems change and that's a, that's a question that I, I pose to you just, and really to, to people listening, is how do we get people to understand the core role that women play within communities and families and societies and workplaces, in caring culture, in systems change, um, and really to make, to make that investment. We know that, you know what, 7% or something of development dollars go towards investing in women it's probably less than that Um, and it just needs to be far greater and and you know I think the time is now to to make sure that we don't revert back and to put pressure on those who have that decision-making power. Luckily we do have incredible allies in the gender equality uh, movement with Melinda Gates um, who has been you know I can't imagine anything that Gates uh, would do in response to this that wouldn't have a gender lens because she has been such an extraordinary champion. But uh, you know, I, there are not there are not that many Melinda Gates. There are not enough Melinda Gates in the world um, to to carry the water for the rest of for the rest of us. <laughs>
1: mm-hmm. Yeah. I, 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 well, um, I think you know at least that I I. I, I don't think we can wait for for um, uh, the men who have gotten us here to uh, to have an aha moment. I don't think that's going to happen. And I think these conversations um, that that you know you have started at Vital Voices are key in that we have to start the conversation. We have to while this is going on and I just told you all of the operational things that um, uh, that we are doing to try to help people manage the crisis while all of that is going on we have to be thinking deeply into the systemic faults that have gotten us here and we have to be thinking how do we as women position ourselves and make sure we cannot allow, the world will be rebuilding. They will be uh, um, rethinking systems in just a couple of months and we cannot allow them to do that without us. Um, if, if, we, if we allow them to, you know, to begin this rebuilding and rethinking process without women sitting at every single table at every single level, whether it's national, whether it's regional, whether it's international, um, and uh whether it's the in the health sector, whether it's in the, the you know the economic sector. We have to be there, and um, I think that it's very important that we as women um, you know, start now. I think these conversations are a great start, and that we have to um, ask ourselves what is going to happen at the end of this crisis, and how do we make sure that we are in the conversation leading the conversation and, and not allowing the world to, um, to ignore us, because I think this is what happens when we build a world that, um, that does not put people at the center. Um, and, and, uh, we, if, if we are able, I mean, the world's wealth, the, all of the, the money that we have amassed is what has allowed this pandemic to, to spread, right? It's because we travel so much, it's because we have um, the ability to move from one end of the world to the other, and that we are so interconnected. So um, we cannot be that, we cannot be wealthy enough to travel, to make money, and not sensible enough to, you know, to put our care, as human beings and to, to ensure that this is not something, you know, this travel which is kind of an elite thing is not being done at the expense of fundamental systems that take care of human beings.
0: Um, so we have to be in that conversation. Mm, yeah, absolutely. Ka, it has been incredible as always uplifting, motivating uh, to to spend time with you and to chat with you and obviously much, much more to come. Thank you so much for taking the time to to lend your voice. Thank you, Lily. Thank you for listening to this special edition of the Vital Voices podcast. We hope that you are doing all you can to keep yourselves, your families, your teams, and your communities safe and healthy. Follow us on social media with at Vital Voices share ideas of other women leaders who are doing extraordinary things in this time of crisis. You know I strongly believe that there has never been a more urgent moment to support these leaders on the front lines of change. They are the first responders in times of crisis and the way that they lead change it has never been more crucial in our world. So if you'd like to join us and support our work with women leaders You can donate to Vital Voices on our website at vitalvoices.org. Or you can text VITAL, V-I-T-A-L, to 41444. That's VITAL to 41444. Stay safe and remember that we will get through this unsettling time and we'll do it together.